Dojo, Dynamite 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 Dojo, with Rich and Ashley. Hey guys, this is Ashley and Rich here with episode 13 of Dojo and Dynamite. It is Sunday, January 12th. It is absurdly warm outside. It's disgusting. And here we are, ready to provide you with this week's recap. Yeah, the show was a mixed bag. It was tough to come off of Wrestle Kingdom to a Dynamite show. You get provided these long extended storytelling style of wrestling matches and you come into a dynamite which we came off a great week the week prior but everybody's attention was kind of the wrestle kingdom you had chris jericho there you had john moxley there you had okada double belt double gold belt double double belt dash double gold dash there you go so you had all that happening which we covered but that kind of took away a little bit from what we then saw on wednesday i think so the show was kind of a mixed bag. I'm going to be honest. The When I watched this on Wednesday, when I watched Dynamite on Wednesday, I really wasn't feeling it. And I wasn't sure if it was because of Wrestle Kingdom being burnt out and just coming off of such a hot Dynamite for, for New Year's. So I had to rewatch the show before I could give a proper assessment of everything. Yeah, me too. It was much better the second time around. There, there were smaller pieces that I think we just overlooked that kind of completed the story. And I think a lot of people might have overlooked it before they really took a big old crap on what happened, especially in the women's match. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we'll discuss that in a little bit. Um, but it was, it was much better the second time around. I think I was cranky on Wednesday. I was overtired. But this was not my favorite episode of Dynamite. Mine either, but I guess because of our Wrestle Kingdom recap kind of coming on a little late this week and everything, we didn't get any more questions or comments again. So guys, we need these things. This is a segment that we run here right in the beginning of the show. We want to answer your questions. We want your voice to be heard. Anything you guys want to talk about, we'll talk about. So maybe you want to talk about why Dark was only 34 minutes long or so. Any any type of comment about it, but... Uh, either way, show was not my favorite, but it did have some really good moments in it. Yeah, it did. There, there were definitely some highlights to the show, so we can just go ahead and get started with the recap here. We opened up with Hangman Page and Kenny versus Private Party. Really fun tag match. Really a good way to, to start the show. Yeah, like we've talked about, I think on this podcast, that we enjoy watching Kenny and Hangman tag team. And a couple of weeks ago, I know that they went up against the Lucha Brothers and we were a little critical of maybe the Lucha Brothers. And again, it's all relative, but I thought that Kenny and Hangman are such great, high-intensity workers that anytime they're in a match against anybody, regardless of private party this week, they've been able to deliver such a great performance as a tag team that I need to kind of see more of them going forward. And they kind of elevate the talent around them because personally 
I didn't think that Private Party looked that great in this match. Something about this match seemed a bit off. I felt like parts were moving in slow motion. Yeah, I I thought maybe... It was very obvious, so I'm not saying maybe it was only me that saw it, but maybe it was only me that thought, you know, they're so green still that it's like, hey, let's just kind of make sure I'm doing the right spot, gain confidence in hitting these moves. And there was a part where, I believe it was Mark Quinn, was kind of doing these forearm smashes back and forth between Paige and Kenny Omega. And, I mean, he was moving at a snail's pace. And it really kind of disconnected the audience from the match because it was very slow. And I thought maybe at that moment he was setting up the next spot, whether or not they were communicating or whatnot at that moment. But unfortunately, his lack of in-ring experience can sometimes show and, you know, hey, listen, don't necessarily do that again. This is what happens. You know, it's like, hey, don't necessarily do that again. And we'll figure out a better way to get the spot called out than being square in the center of the ring, turning back and forth and moving at a snail's pace. But I will say Private Party has looked better each and every week. For sure. So the experience, you know, no one's going to get better without experience and exposure. I, I completely agree. And Private Party's best matches have come against the Bucks and against Hangman and Kenny. And they're such a great talent. They're so athletic. They have such a, an ability to uh, just wow the audience. I mean, their finishing move is fantastic. They do that flip over the top rope to come back to the Tornado DDT. That's so cool to watch. I mean, these guys are really talented athletes. And it's only going to be a matter of time until they are the ones stealing the show and enhancing everybody else's talent. I I completely agree. This was one of the matches that at first watch, I just didn't love. Again, something seemed a bit off on it. But when I rewatched it, it it was fine. It really showcased each individual. Private parties getting better each and every week, like we said. On that same note, you can really see Kenny and Hangman developing more chemistry as a tag team. Yeah, which is the opposite of where I think they're going to go with this. Right. Which is like, now we're only seven weeks or so away from Revolution. Clearly, Hangman and Kenny, I'm sure, are going to be feuding against one another on that pay-per-view. At least I think they are. Which is a great idea. Like I said, print money, I will buy that pay-per-view. However... We need to kick this shit in gear if we're going to be doing that because now we're starting to get closer and we're not any closer to this breakup or this dissolve of Hangman and Kenny than we were five, six weeks ago. Yeah, it seemed weird to me that they got the win in the match. Uh, Obviously, next week they're going to be partaking in that fatal four-way tag match where the winner gets a future title shot against SCU. I wasn't expecting AEW to develop another tag team of Kenny and Hangman. I mean, the, the Elite already has a tag team in the Bucks. I really hope they don't win that. I know. And then go to Revolution to challenge SCU. I don't want to see that. I, I, I don't want to see that there's other established tag teams. We don't need that. The feud doesn't need that. But especially since you're almost elongating the feud just for the sole purpose of pushing it. Which actually, I know that Matt Jackson had said that, you know, the fans, stay patient, you're going to see it all come together. Fans are not patient with everything that is done. You don't always have to give these elongated story arcs every single group that you have. 
you can have these long stories. You can have these moments of John Moxley and Chris Jericho kind of building for nine weeks where Cody and MJF building since full gear. But why, like we talked about multiple times, why do the tag team titles have to be on this long trajectory? Why does Riho have to have this long title reign? There's no reason for these things. They don't all have to be these long arcs. They don't have to be these long conclusions. People have short attention spans. Not everybody can sit through serial narratives. That's why some people prefer movies. That's why some people prefer shorter television shows. They can't sit through seasons and seasons and seasons of things. So, I we've talked about this multiple times. I just think that maybe it's time to kind of do some shorter term booking. I agree, and I'm hoping that we start to see this Kenny and Hangman thing kick into gear a little quicker. Uh, hopefully... They don't get the win next week for the sake of the tag division and for the sake of the feud. But one thing I wanted to highlight before we move on to the next match is, you know, right at the beginning of the show when when they were making their entrances, Hangman is so over. And we've talked about this before. The The crowd is completely behind the cowboy shit. And that makes me so happy. Um... I've said it before, you've said it before, Hangman's a huge star, he has a very bright future in wrestling, but he's getting organically over. It's just, it's working what they're doing with him, and I'm glad that week after week, everyone else is is jumping on the, the bandwagon. Yeah, because they could have gone with the whole, you're gonna like this guy no matter if you like him or not. And they didn't do that. They decided to go with Chris Jericho, take Hangman out, and rebuild him. And it's exactly the right way because they they immediately established him as a guy to pay attention to. He was in that world title match at All Out. They took him out of it. It was a bright idea. It was the right move. And now they're building him back up to being a star. And I think it's great. It's really smart. Yeah. It's really well done. It's probably the best booking of any star building quality. Of any long arcing star building quality that I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, and he's you know he's impressing everyone out there. They're getting behind him. So, props to AEW and props to Hangman for all that they're doing with uh, with him there. And can't wait to see what comes next. Do we want to talk about Pac? I forgot. That's about right. That. I forgot that the Pac segment happened there, which is still Pac asking for his rubber match mm-hmm. against Kenny Omega that won't be granted. And I, I know that that's, again, another long story that they're pushing out. This guy, Pack needs to get on television and wrestle more. Yeah. And we've been defenders, explainers. We've been the rationale of the Dark Order, of the Nightmare Collective, where universally individuals don't like it or don't want to take the time to understand it more to come on that shortly but they are not going to help themselves if a guy like pack is not wrestling on their card i agree and i think this goes back to to what you said just a moment ago i love long-term booking and i love the continuity that AEW is giving us but there's only so long you can be patient for and so many things right like just give us our match Give him his match. Give us our match. I don't know why they haven't done that. They're not doing it next week, and maybe they'll do it on the Jarrah Cruise. I don't know. But it's another one of those things that it's almost comical how long it's gone on for. It becomes less and less important, less and less valuable 
because it just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. But then it's like, is it going to be for the belt later on? That is that the rubber match? Well, that's I... what I thought that the Moxley thing was going to get to because right. that's why they only wrestled each other basically once. They set up a little bit of that feud. Oh and they'll come yeah, back and they to ended that. in a draw again, right? I thought mm-hmm. they would come back to that when Moxley defeats Jericho. That's kind of what I thought. But the Kenny thing, I, I'm not quite understanding why we keep pushing this thing back. I I, I know it'll come together soon, but but because we just have to see it through. Now, uh, moving on. In that segment, I gave it a B. I thought the match was very solid. I enjoyed it. I thought the pack thing was fine. I thought that it was a little odd because we really didn't see a lot of disillusion between Hangman and Kenny this time. It looked like they recovered a little bit well, of that then, continuity. You're right, but then at the end, you know, Hangman, to Kenny, go, go, go to pack, go to save Nakazawa. Um, Doesn't show any effort in trying to help his friend. No, he just he's like you carry you just on. Just go do your thing, man. And then Hangman's drinking beers with the fans. What more can moment. you ask for? <laughs> I give it a B plus. Uh, again, the match was solid. There is still storytelling, just not entirely sure where it's going. But moving on, we had the women's world championship match: Chris Statlander versus Riho. <sighs> now the. Background of this match is pretty straightforward. The women in AEW are upset because Riho has not been around defending the championship or involved in any stories. And so the women are taking that as hey, listen, I'm working every single week and you're not. I deserve to be the champion and you don't. That's like the Britt Baker thing in a microcosm of what the story is. So Riho last week defends her championship in a fatal four-way match against Hikaru Shida, Nyla Rose, and Britt Baker. At the end of said match, Riho, who somehow survived the three other dangerous opponents, gets splashed through a table by the native beast Nyla Rose. Which I like this story that Nyla's doing. She's just beating the shit out of people. I'm throwing people through tables. That's great. I, I like it. that. Yeah. This, is, this is good. Now... Riho coming into the match against Chris Statlander, who gets a week off, basically two weeks off with Christmas, should be at a disadvantage. Chris Statlander really should be the one who's the favorite to win. She didn't get powerbombed through a table, splashed through a table, I'm sorry. She did not get splashed through a table. She had two weeks off to prepare to wrestle Riho. This should actually be Chris Statlander coming in as the favorite. So that's kind of the background of this match. So the match immediately has some... Ooh, quality, where Chris Statlander may become the champion. Yes, and she came out looking physically dominant. For sure. Not only because Riho had gotten splashed through through the table, like you mentioned, but there is an obvious size advantage that Chris has over Riho. And the match quality between Chris Statlander and Riho when they wrestled one-on-one was great. This match itself was very good. And it didn't really lose too much when the the nightmare collective came out you know we kind of saw that it was going to happen i I said it last week we saw it was going to happen brandy's on commentary obviously melanie cruz mel as they call her awesome kong comes down to the ring and in a twist they attack riho instead of chris statlander which i said oh that's that's good i said you know you know Chris Statlander slaps Brandy, but instead, let's take out Riho, right? Chris is going to win. Oh, Chris, hey, listen. We helped you win. We helped you. 
join our collective now. We helped you. But that's not what happened. No. Um, they, they attack Riho. Then we see the debut, or not the debut, the final introduction, I guess, of Dr. Luther. Yeah, I believe he's just going to go as Luther. Just Luther? Yeah. So th- there's, there's so much to unpack here. Um, the Chris- Nightmare Collective is attacking everyone. They ultimately screw Chris Statlander out of the win Riho retains. That's the... That's the gist of the what gist of it. happens. She, they attack Riho. Chris Statlander doesn't want to stand for that. You're affecting her championship match. She doesn't want anybody involved in this. She's trying to fight for the Women's World Championship. These are good girls. They're fighting with honor. Right. So she comes out. She attacks Melanie Cruz. Then she comes back and says, You know what? Fuck it. I'm taking out Awesome Kong too. So she does. Then Luther comes out of the ring. Now, I don't have a problem with any of this going on because there's not too much involvement. They just pulled down Rio, threw her into the barricade. That's fine. Chris Statlander says, don't fuck with my championship match. Takes out Mel. Takes out Awesome Kong. Like I said just before, Luther debuts. Now, Luther comes out right when Brandy comes down the ramp to have a conversation with Chris Statlander. Right when Chris Statlander goes to hit Brandy again, Luther grabs her arm, and that looked terrible. And unfortunately, I don't know where the line comes of maybe it's because Tony Khan has said so many times he doesn't want intergender wrestling. Maybe it's an uncomfortable feeling between Luther and kind of, this is a Japanese deathmatch legend, and you're kind of getting told by... Tony Khan, potentially, I don't know. I'm not going to make anything up. not going to make assumptions. But we do know, historically, he doesn't like to have intergender combat. So he kind of grabs her arm in a very ginger fashion. And it looked really bad on television. And there's no real way to correct that. It's nobody's fault. It's just the segment itself. It was the moment, the way the camera was. It didn't look great. Awesome Kong comes and clotheslines her. Then they go in the ring, and Riho, for some reason, wants to fight with honor. I'm not that type of fighter. I'm not going to accept Chris Statlander being rolled in the ring and easy for the taking, easy pickings for me. So instead, she jumps out and takes out Dr. Luther. Then she gets back in the ring again and tries to go after Chris Statlander, and they pick up the match, and it's a very good match from that point, too. The finish was very smart. But then Awesome Kong while Chris Statlander has Riho in the tombstone at the finish, pulls Chris Statlander's feet out after Statlander takes relatively no bumps and no damage and gets pinned for the three count, and Riho is still the champion. People were very upset with that ending. After you and I watched it again, we kind of understood why they went with that ending. Because Riho, if she would have known that Chris Statlander was attacked, probably wouldn't have gone through with the pinfall, right? Right, and you can see it at the end. She's looking around at the camera, looking around at everyone. You know, what what, what just happened? I, I, She didn't look happy to win. She doesn't want to cheat to win. She doesn't want to take advantage of somebody else, right? That's her character. And I think it's a good character. But because of all the interference, because there was so much to unpack, it kind of flew over everybody's head. And that segment, as much as we tried to describe what happened, we're probably all over the place because it was a hard segment with so many pieces happening at the same time. But here's the thing. Like, this isn't working. But I cannot figure out why. Let me break this down just on paper. 
kind of repeating what you said, but just breaking it down on paper. Hear me out. Brandy's forming a group of things out of your nightmares. She wants Chris Statlander. She's an alien. She's extraterrestrial. She fits the mold of what Brandy's looking for. Chris says no. The Nightmare Collective's angry, so they come out the cost of the match. But they're also attacking Riho because, as we've talked about before, she's the champion. She has this target on her back, and they're putting the entire women's division on notice. This causes a, a lot of the other faces, the other good woman, women, Big Swole, Hikaru Shida, Sunny Kiss even comes out to the aid of Riho and Chris Statlander. So we've got factions developing, good versus evil. That's fine. That, on paper, makes complete sense. Yeah. So, like, what's... Why is this not... What is going on? Like, why is it not working? It feels cheap. It feels kind of cheesy. It's like the Bray Wyatt character was cool, and then I thought the Funhouse... I thought The Fiend, I thought that was kind of cheesy. It feels forced. And then you deliver things like when you're cutting her hair after this random woman volunteers when you didn't really advertise you were looking for people to join you. And then they're trying to cut her hair and then that's not working. And Luther comes out from under the ring and he try- and he stops Chris Statlander from punching Brandy and that looks bad. It's just this... It's just looking cheap. It looks cheesy. It's not their fault, though. You have a great mouthpiece. We have been raving about Brandy. We have given her unconditional support because she's entertaining. She's a great voice. She has a great cadence. She's a commanding figure. We didn't talk about the fact she was on commentary for this match. She was on commentary. And that kind of threw me off a little bit, too, because I thought it was funny But at the same time, we're here trying to unpack what the Nightmare Collective is, where they're going on about collecting these creatures of your nightmares. That was a theory that we developed. Right, we did develop that. But that's kind of how our brains were looking at it. And then she basically shits all over that theory by saying that Chris Statlander is not an alien, she's a woman. So now you're like, oh, okay, well that... Now, that's that's breaking the suspension of disbelief, right? So she's trying to tell us she's an alien. We're like, all right, you know what? You're an alien. I'll take it. But then Brandy craps all over that. Yet she's got, she's a witch. She's got a voodoo priestess or whatever. And she's got a, a crazy Japanese deathmatch legend. And it's just a weird collective group as she is making it. And weird isn't bad all the time like weird isn't necessarily bad no it's not bad i actually don't really mind the luther character i thought that adding luther to the group and maybe seeing what he can do is fine but i think it my brain keeps hearkening back to tony khan saying he doesn't want intergender wrestling so you take a male and you inject him into the women's department in which you kind of say, well, how is he going to fit into this role? Sonny Kiss did come out. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And so maybe that'll be where it kind of ties together. However, in the same effect, Awesome Kong hasn't looked great in the small stuff that she's done outside of the ring. The little backspin hand, backhand thing she does is not really looking too great. In the ring, she's been fine. 
But that little move that she does has not been effective outside the ring. Mel doesn't have any matches to show anybody in AEW. So we don't know what she has to offer. She could be great. She could be terrible. We don't really know. I haven't seen any of her indie stuff, so So, I can't comment. I I can't either. So I'm not going to say that she's good or bad. But we're kind of left in this, we don't know what to think about the whole group. No. No. No, we don't. And it's been building for a long time. Even before the vignettes of her as a witch with the voodoo and Awesome Kong, because she was the one that introduced Awesome Kong at Double or Nothing. And she was kind of Awesome Kong's manager and vice versa at Fight for the Fallen when she faced Allie. So all of this has kind of been building for quite some time. So it's not like this came out of left field. No, 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 not at all. And I just, I can't put my finger on it. Each week, I've I've analyzed the, the Nightmare Collective segments, um, trying to put the pieces together, trying to break down what happened. And when you put it on paper, everything makes sense. When you put it on paper, this should work. Unfortunately, the execution of it especially in the ring part, has not been ideal. It's just, it's falling flat? Is that the right? Yes. It's just falling flat. Nothing that they've done has been cool or felt real. And wrestling fans loved things that they think are real. Now, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You're right. You, You said that, I believe, last week or recently, that if it's real, it'll work. But then... Why are we so enamored by Luchasaurus? And we, I love Luchasaurus, but he's not a f- dinosaur. Like, you know what I mean? Because we are taking Luchasaurus for what he is. We enjoy it. It's fun. He's not put in anything serious. He's not being considered for world championships. He's being treated and his character is being treated the appropriate way. We are supposed to take Brandy very seriously. We are taking the Nightmare Collective as a threat to the AEW Women's World title. Fair. Mm-hmm. You're right. When you put those two hand in hand, I'm sure that if you took Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, and Jungle Boy, you took the whole shtick, and you tried to go in a very serious direction and have them feud for the world title, I think people would reject it also. Especially right now. Especially right now. It's tough. Wrestling is so finicky. It is, it is. But you have to listen to the fans. And right now, the fans, they do not like the Nightmare Collective. Unfortunately, they don't. But they've invested so much time and so much detail and so much attention to it, it's really hard sometimes to pull the plug. And I'm not saying they have to. Like I said, let's see this through a couple more weeks. Yeah. We have to see it through. Now we got two... Factions. Yep. Mm-hmm. So let's just see it through. Again, I'm not over it. I really like Brandy a lot. I want to see at least what this can conclude with. Yeah. I don't know if everybody else is going to hang on. Yeah. Now, in terms of in terms of grades, I'm actually going to grade this separately. I'm going to do the match and the segment itself. The match, I give a, a B. I think Chris and Riho worked really well together, as we talked about, um, really playing into Chris's 
power dynamic and in Riho having to fight for her life out there. There was a little too much interference, especially near the end, that I think took away from the action. But overall, it was really solid. The Nightmare Collective segment with the the um, faction building at the end, that I'm going to give a C+. Uh, again, it, everything just seems to be kind of falling flat, but they're planting seeds for the future. They're planting seeds for this good versus evil, so I'm still willing to see how how it's going to end and how it's going to play out. I can't give it too low of a segment because they're pl- or too low of a grade because they are planting seeds for what's next. I'm going to give the match a B. I thought the match between the two of them was actually pretty good quality. It was very high quality. I liked I liked watching them go toe to toe. I'm going to give the whole interference shtick and that whole thing a D. That was bad. And then I'm going to give the finish of the match a C. Because I think I was ready for Statlander to win. I didn't really like the fact that she got pinned anyway. I, I yeah. Minus the Riho story yeah. building part, I don't like the fact that she literally took no bumps and got pinned on not even a roll-up. I'm not a fan of that. So I'm giving that a C. Yeah. I, I, I wonder what's next for Riho at this point. Britt Baker uh, again? I, I, don't I don't know. know. And, and that doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Britt Baker's lost too many times to have in the title shot. It doesn't make sense. Moving on, uh, we had Christopher Daniels versus Sammy G in a singles match. I think this is the right way to use Christopher Daniels. I think Christopher Daniels is still very good. Yeah. I've been saying that for weeks. I think Christopher Daniels is still very good. I thought the match was good. I gave the match a B. I thought the match was very good. Uh, Sammy Guevara... As much as I don't necessarily like him, it's more of the personality, the tongue, the whole look. I don't it's, it, like almost skeeves me out. But besides all of that, he's entertaining. Flips around the ring, sells really well. It really helps some of the older guys too. You saw him against Dustin. You saw him against Christopher Daniels, and he's winning those matches, which is the appropriate thing to do. Yeah, I gave the whole thing, the match, and everything just a B. I, I enjoyed. it. I thought it was a good match. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was solid. Sammy is a, is another young talent who continues to look better each and every time he's out there. And he needed some more wins, too. Absolutely. It's super important, uh, especially being with the inner circle. Uh, he's Jericho's right-hand man as much as Jake Hager is. And it's, just, it's important to, to get him these wins to build him as a legitimate star, a legitimate talent for the company. Uh, we had Penta come out. That was funny. Uh, I liked that. I like Penta. Uh, he comes out, you know, is talking some smack to Christopher Daniels, which un- ends up distracting him and costs him the match. So you've got that piece, uh, still the Lucha Bros versus SCU, or really just CD versus the Lucha Bros. <laughs> just CD versus yeah. Penta. Uh, CD versus Penta, but yeah. Then the Dark Order comes out. The Young Bucks come out. That I'm going to give a C to. I don't know if the Dark Order is going to be able to recover. Like I told you, I thought they came out a little too early in return from their vignettes. They started to build something, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, they're back on TV. Mm-hmm. We talk about long-term booking. This one was one that maybe a little more long-term could have helped them. And they came back a little quick, and then they had that moment that everybody talked about with the punches so it kind of already took away from the dark order seriousness and again the dark order as much as their vignettes are great their concept is great they also feel cheesy and 
it's falling in the same boat as Brandy. And people didn't like this episode as much as last week. And last week, we didn't have any Brandy, and we didn't have any Dark Order, and it was great. This week, we have Brandy, and we have a Dark Order, and people don't like it. Well, see, I think the issue I had was you had the Women's Championship match Nightmare Collective segment, then you had the singles match Dark Order segment. They they were very These matches close. ended, not like they didn't end the same way, but you're concluding with the same type of segment. And I'm like, I feel like I just watched this. They're two different things, women's division versus men's division. They're both cult-like, but there are obvious differences. But it just seemed a little too close and repetitive, if that makes sense. It does. I understand. I gave it a C. Yeah, segment itself, I, I would give a C as well. It just seemed to kind of miss the mark. It was a lot. It was really chaotic with everyone coming out and CDs not joining the dark, the dark order. But I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with that, so we'll just watch it. Yeah. I mean, we'll just we'll just watch it. Just got to take it for what it is, I guess. And and then we had the best match of the night, obviously. Cody and Dustin versus the Lucha Bros. Yeah, I mean, I like Cody and Dustin, of course. So that was something I, I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to give the match an A-. I thought the match was very good. Again, there were some spots where I just don't think the Lucha Brothers are for me. I think their style, I know we talked to Frank about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Frank kind of talked to us about his experience with Lucha with Libre. Lucha Libre. And how... Those guys kind of personify what Lucha Libre is. And it's probably my background in wrestling where I am not necessarily accustomed to seeing it that way. And because of that, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I probably need to take more time and spend more time and watch more of it. However, the parts that I kind of, against Lucha Brothers, I've said it, these moments of kind of waiting for the spot to happen... Not standing around the outside waiting for a splash. Just when Phoenix is sitting in the corner, kind of just waiting for the guys to move and then for him to come in and do it. And then the rolling things, that stuff looks sloppy. I don't like that. You do hate that. I do hate that. Cody is standing in the middle of the ring and he's waiting for Ray Phoenix, who now has to roll backwards and then jump up to give him the cutter and he's far too close to Cody. And Cody's standing there and he has to kind of accept this. I don't like that at all. That just is something the roles from Phoenix have to stop. Otherwise, the match quality, this was the best Lucha Brothers match in a, in a hot minute. And I really enjoyed the camaraderie between Dustin and Cody and the Lucha Brothers together. And I thought the match was really good and I thought the right team won. Because Arn Anderson's there, and it, it, he's well-coached, and I thought that the right team won for the story purpose. Yeah, I agree. I think anytime you have, again, focusing on that reality element, brother versus brother, family versus family, it's just more intriguing. Like, Cody and Dustin versus the Bucks was equally as enticing because it feels it feels real. Uh, but I thought this match was, was excellent. I, I would give it in, an A- minus as well. Dustin seems to be having the time of his life, and just each week he's out there, he's killing it on all fronts, and he's so fun to watch, and Cody is 
arguably the biggest star in this company. Yeah, and I love Dustin, so. Uh, the, the crowd just loves Cody. It's just, it's crazy. Just whenever he comes out, just hearing the Cody chants, it's every single person. He's a megastar. He's, he's a megastar. huge, and it, that's just so awesome to see. Uh, and the Lucha Bros are fun to watch. I thought this match was really cool. I want to see Dustin and Cody with Arn get a legitimate tag team title run. Now, we didn't do a full recap last week with no. AEW because of, of Wrestle Kingdom. Correct. I wanted to talk about Arn being the Nightmare Family coach. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I really like it too. At first... Arn Anderson with a microphone is just money. I was into it. But then I'm like, well, why does Cody need a coach? And, and we had kind of posed that question together and I had said after thinking about it, maybe it's to get him refocused after all this shit that's happened with the Elite and and with the Nightmare Collective and and with MJF. Like, maybe it's just to get him back on track. But I love it. We're watching it now, and he Cody's coming to the ring, and Arn's talking to him behind the paper. It's that sports feel of, you know, like being on a football field where the coaches are talking into the microphone behind their playbook to so no one can see what they're saying, so they're not giving away the information to everyone else. Uh, this has a very sports-like feel to it, and I'm really intrigued to see how it plays out. I think maybe is this going to lead to a, a Arn and Cody versus Tully and Sean Spears? Uh, it's possible. Kind of going back to All Out? It's possible. We asked a friend of ours kind of about it. We made a comment about it to be honest, and it was, I don't know if Cody really needs a coach. What does he have a coach for? And he says, well, is he the world champion? No. Then he can always get better. Yeah, but Cody can't compete for the world championship. I understand, but he can always get better. Yes. So. Play spoiler. Is it going to sell the story that basically, is it going to come to the point where Cody becomes undeniable? And... That's his word, mm -hmm. and he has to be the AEW world champion. Possible. MJF came out, which felt like the same segment almost. Like as if it should have just concluded with MJF right at the end of the match. Yeah, so this... And I know I, you had a gripe with it. I, I don't know. Now, I don't know if I missed something, because the match ends, Cody and Arn, they, they don't give their answer to... MJF stipulations. They go backstage. But like I said, arm with a microphone is entertaining. They go backstage. Then MJF comes out. And we cut to commercial. We come back. He's in the ring. And he's just screaming. Now, I know he's upset because Cody didn't give an answer. But did I, did I miss something as to why he was like just literally yelling at everyone because i felt like that i don't know seemed i don't know i that seemed strange and i said to him I'm like why the fuck is he yelling mjf is the one that was in control here mm -hmm. i thought his promo was great i thought it was funny he disrespected ddp ddp also got a big pop i gave that segment with mjf an a i enjoyed it i'll unpack it in a minute but you're right the part of him yelling was you're the one that's in control 
what you're not adamant about getting a match with Cody. Cody wants one with you. You're right. the one that's in control. What are you angry about? What are you violently screaming about? I understand what you're saying, but maybe we missed something. I don't. That's I don't know. He came back and he's yelling. He's yelling. Yeah. Everything after that was fine. I also give it an A. He's great on the mic, and. He's such a little punk. He's telling DDP he's going to, what, sleep with his daughter, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which you don't say. Um, no, he's he's great at what he does, but I just, I, I don't like yelling. So when we came back from commercial and he's screaming, that turned me off. Like, I'm like, I don't want to listen Well, there was no motivation this. for the yelling. When Moxley yells, it makes sense. When Moxley gives you a visceral, passionate, guttural promo it makes sense i think it's we come back from tv he's screaming i feel like i'm being attacked but for no reason right but that's again i don't know the promo's content was good yeah funny enjoyable i like mjf he's a great promo it's an a segment i liked the fact that cody didn't come out because cody can't come out and I like the fact that MJF targeted post-match knowing Dustin and Cody were going to be weak. Cody can't come out because he can't touch MJF. Yeah. He's abiding by some of these rules already. Continuity. It makes sense. Dustin came back out and said, oh, if Dustin can limp out, why can't Cody? Because he can't touch MJF. Because then he loses the match. Or he loses the opportunity for the match. So QT Marshall comes out. And anybody who's going to say anything about QT Marshall, just watch the first time he wrestled against Butcher and Blade. That was great. QT Marshall's good. Don't He may not be a household name, but the guy can go. And Butcher and Blade come out, and the bunny, and DDP's hitting diamond cutters on everybody. Thought he was going to hit one on Bunny there. <laughs> Didn't. Segment was good. I enjoyed the segment. And I know that the match next week kind of looks like a cluster. Butcher Blade MJF versus QT Marshall, DDP, and Dustin Rhodes. <laughs> but I gotta see it. I gotta see it. I have very high expectations for that match. On paper, that looks like a cluster. It, 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 yeah, but again, Dustin has been killing it. QT Marshall in that tag match was unbelievable. And we said even before that that he's solid. We liked his work. Yeah, so and and Butcher and Blade have been, you know, in the couple matches we saw them, they've been really fun. So those four alone, that's exciting. And then you get DDP, which is yeah, yeah awesome, yeah. And, and MJF. So I, I give me, think give me that's some DDP. Be, I got no problems with some DDP. I think and Bash is the beach. Be DDP, Bash of course. Beach. Hell yeah! This was followed up with Best Friends versus Jurassic Express, and this actually surprised you, right? Yeah, this match was way more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm not saying I, I didn't think it was going to be. I, I enjoy the type of comedy that these guys are. I like that little bit of shtick they do with Chuck Taylor and Trent and Orange Cassidy and, and then, of course, Jurassic Express. And I gave the match a B plus. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought it was really fun. There's not much really to unpack besides just the enjoyment. I, I liked Orange Cassidy's role in it. I like when he does the flip and just kind of falls. I, I enjoyed it. It was good. I felt like there was just enough shtick, but also enough wrestling. Yeah. This was the main event match of the evening. It was good. Yeah. And Jurassic Express got a win, so they're off to a good start in 2020. Better than last year. Turning things around, but a lot of young talent in the ring. And you can look at the story from Jericho as motivation for for Jungle Boy. I mean, Jungle Jack Perry. This obviously is showing he can hang with anybody, so now he can start winning matches. 
makes yeah, sense. It's, it's, it comes from it's a full it's circle good. here. It and was fun though. It was good. I like all the participants. I like all the guys in that match. So yeah, good things, cool, cool things. Then we have the main event segment, the ending segment of the night, which was good because it wasn't a match. So it was just a little bit different Change than they usually pace. do. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Change of pace. But we have John Moxley giving his answer to the inner circle, which he joined the inner circle. And then he unjoined. Yeah. yeah this broke my heart. Moxley was great. Jericho was great. They come out. He's wearing this fucking like winter coat. And he's all bundled up because of course he's hiding something. And we didn't know what it was. It could have been the inner circle shirt. I kind of thought he was going to be the inner circle shirt. I hoped that it would be the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship. Which yeah, but it my bold prediction still but, rings true. But yeah, that was very suspect. He doesn't come out like that. It's a new jacket. He's bundled up. What is he hiding? Right. And it was a fun segment. They drank a lot of bubbly. And I liked the fact that the audience did not know what to think. They didn't want to hate it because it's still good. But at the same time, they did not know how to react. The audience was fucking quiet. You could sense the like... But they were standing and they were kind of like, what uh, is this? Yeah. And then they hinted multiple times that the segment was going to end by playing the music off. So it's like, play the music, and then it does a little thing, and you're like, oh, and it's like, no, 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 just play the music. And then they play the music again, and they go through it, and then Moxley turns, the crowd goes nuts. He's like, fuck it, I just want a title shot. Paradigm shifts Chris Jericho, who then, the image of Jake Hager holding him like a little baby while his eyes are closed, and he's screaming, Jake Hager's screaming to the heavens that (laughs) you just killed Chris Jericho. This, so I think I had the opposite reaction to everyone else I saw online. Mox joins and I'm like, oh my God, yes, this is all I wanted. And then I see the clock and it's 9.55 and I'm like, oh no, this is too much time. This is way too much time. This can't be real. This isn't going to happen. Then he winks at the camera. And I hoped he was just being playful, but he was telling us that, nah, this isn't going to stick. And then he betrayed the inner circle. And this just ruined my hopes and dreams of them terrorizing AEW and New Japan. Jericho plugged. He's like, we were at Wrestle Kingdom. It was perfect. Dreams shattered. But it was a really good segment. I give it an A. The roller coaster of emotions that everyone went through, regardless of which way you started and ended, it was very fun. It was really the roller coaster emotions that you went through. No, I saw other people who, they were pissed that he joined and they were happy that he didn't. And it was, it was fun. I just liked the fact that they had the crowd in the palm of their hand because they did not know if they liked what they were watching. It was so genuine. And when they knew that they're like, this is not, and they wanted to say it wasn't good, but you can't say it wasn't good because it was good. Regardless of the outcome, it was still good. Even if it's not what you wanted. Right. So that's why they, they couldn't really turn against it because it was still good. Sometimes things are so good that you can't deny it, even if you don't want it. Yes. And with that, I also give it an A. The episode, again, as we talked about, it was much better the second time around. I think there were a lot of details, like Rich said, that went unnoticed the first time. But it's always hard. Even to us, though, too, it... it 
it flew over our heads. We had to watch it the second time. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, come in slow on it. Just kind of pay attention to the little things, and we kind of were able to unpack it a little better. I'm not saying it made the Nightmare Collective segment better, but it was better the second time than the first initial time. But this is what's tough with AEW is last week's show, January 1st, was arguably the best episode ever. This wasn't the worst, but you're just coming off of such a high that it's hard to always meet expectations. But again, I've said this, and I'm not trying to be super negative. Last week doesn't have Brandy in the Dark Order, one of the best shows of the year. This week has Nightmare Collective and Dark Order. People don't like it. It's just not working. We turn ahead to Bash at the Beach and then the Jericruz. January's got a lot of action left to unpack. Should be really fun. And before we conclude, we'll just touch briefly on New Japan, continuing with the Mox Man. He's going to be on the New Beginning Tour, where he'll be facing uh, Minoru Suzuki for the IWGP US Championship match. And at New Year's Dash, they created a new tag team, which was the Ace Tanahashi and Ibushi, who want to challenge Finjuice. That's quite a team. Yeah. I mean, that's like your peck book. Like, that's just, those are the stars of that peck book. Kota Ibushi is on the cover of the peck book. In case you didn't know, she ordered a peck book from New Japan, which is just a book full of people's pecks in Japanese. So she has no idea what it says. No, I just look at the pictures. (laughs) But everybody's pecks are in it. Yeah. So uh, if you guys want to buy it, I, I don't know where to find it. Amazon Japan is where I got it. Good God. But... Before the championship match, there are a couple tag team matches that are going to occur, one of which is Taichi and Suzuki versus Mox and Okada. The fact that Taichi's in that makes me not want to watch it. But it's Mox and Okada. But who it's also Taichi. Who would have thought that that was a tag team pairing you'd see in wrestling? Wow. I just wish it wasn't Taichi. But Suzuki's team is like guys I don't like. Yeah, you are Suzuki Goon is not for you. <laughs> no, Zack Saber Jr. too. I just Doki. I like Doki. He's good. Suzuki's good. I like both of those guys. Takamichi Noku. But yeah, new beginnings will be interesting to see what happens there, and then we'll roll into Revolution, and then after that, it'll kind of be a stretch of wait and see. We don't really have much post Revolution that we're aware of yet. No, we'll be going to the Dynamite in Newark. Yeah, for so sure. We'll get tickets regardless. So. Personal stories to share there. We've got the Bullet Club Beach Party. which That we'll, we will be going to also. Which we'll be able to cover WrestleMania, maybe. No, we're not going to WrestleMania, but that's something we're not we are not going could. to WrestleMania, no. But we will be going to the Bullet Club Beach Party. Hell yeah. Coming home the same night to make sure we can watch WrestleMania. So Maybe we'll do a WrestleMania special. No. no. Yeah, we, we probably will. But with that, we will share that next week we will have a regularly scheduled Dynamite recap with a little New Japan news. New Japan news doesn't come fast and furious, not quite like Dynamite. So unfortunately, we can only cover so much New Japan at a time. But the beach party is going to be exciting. Tamatanga is running that. There's going to be a lot of people there, a lot of the Bullet Club members. That's going to be fun. I hope that people do go down there and take a chance to check it out. I know the one in New Jersey was awesome. Unfortunately, we missed that one, yeah, which I don't know why we did that. It was the morning of WrestleMania, though. But this 
is a lot of fun. Looks like it's going to be awesome going down to Tampa. I've never been to Tampa, so that'll be interesting. We will be doing, like I said, a regularly scheduled Dynamite coming up this week. Then we will be on the Jared Cruise. So unfortunately, with the way the cruise is going to be scheduled, it we arrive back in Miami on Friday. We'd have to fly home and get the podcast up. So there will be no regularly scheduled podcast for Dynamite Recap that week. However, we have a very special segment that we will be dropping on the 25th of January. And it's called Drinking Beer and Talking Wrestling. Yeah, we had touched on this uh, last episode, I believe, just kind of giving you guys an introduction. But here are more details. We have our, our good friend the queen of ne who joined us for the first episode and as rich had mentioned it's just focusing on nostalgia just literally having a chat about wrestling so we're super excited for the first episode we look to do more of these in the future but that'll be dropping the 25th and we'll take topics for it but it's really just the way you'd talk to your friends about stuff that went on in your lives about wrestling just kind of nostalgia things. Everybody in wrestling loves nostalgia. It's just talking wrestling, man. Wherever the conversation goes, the conversation goes. We have a really awesome segment. I think you guys are going to really like this segment coming up on January 25th. But with that, that brings us to the end of this week's recap and this week's episode. Again, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, at Dojo and Dynamite on Twitter, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And we will see you later this week. I got one, two more things that I forgot. Oh. I got a little sidetracked there at the end. One, I got to challenge Joey Janela. This is ridiculous. Oh, shit. Yeah, I, you've dropped the holiday. The, ball the holiday. I was giving him a break, and he was having a nice holiday, and, and you know, now we can screw off, and he's got to challenge me in a match. The second is that I have a flashback match that I have to kind of provide here. Because I did not do that last week. Because there was so much wrestling last week. Wrestle Kingdom. You guys can check those matches out. I I think I plugged that also on the podcast. Mm -hmm. You guys can check that out. This flashback match is going to be about MJF's stipulation. Talking about Wardlow against Cody in that steel cage. That we don't know when it's coming up yet. But it will be coming up. And I had a couple of matches. A couple of steel cage matches. I know that Cody will like it. I'm going to give you two flashbacks. Because of last week and skipping it. I'm going to give you two flashback matches. The first will be for Cody. NWA Great American Bash. For the World Heavyweight Championship. 1986. Steel cage. Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. Great American Bash. NWA 1986. And the second is a little bit more accessible. It's on the Impact YouTube. I know you can find the Ric Flair vs. Dusty Rhodes one if you do Google it. But on YouTube, on Impact's YouTube channel, TNA Turning Point 2004 for some of the audiences that may be younger or familiar with TNA. America's Most Wanted versus Triple X in a steel cage. And Elix Skipper runs the cage and hits the Hurricane Rana. It's a great match. So both of those matches, check them out. I'm giving you both steel cage matches to hype yourself up for Wardlow and Cody. And with that, thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll see you later this week.